The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. You can help support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tier. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 or above level for the month of May. I Rebel, Jem McKay, Dan Wagner, Kirsten Cardinal, Jed Winters, and Christopher Valenzi. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Welcome to the GameCube is Cool, featuring me, Mike Lane, and uh, my partner in crime, Neil Gilbert. Hello there. Uh, yeah, every week over the past year, Mike and I have taken a little chunk out of the GameCube's history. We've reminisced, we've gotten nostalgic about certain games, about McDonald's, etc., uh, or completely tore apart other games because of how bad they are. And it's been a really fun time. Yeah, it's been a great time. Uh, I said a year ago, actually, that I didn't want to be a podcast who just says everything is great all the time and just become an echo chamber for ourselves and, and Nintendo. So I'm, uh, I'm very happy we stuck to that. Yeah, and uh, I still haven't given anyone fake excitement or fake hype about any of these games so far. I can't fake excitement <laughs> over anything, literally anything. Last week we talked about Road Trip, and I was stoked about that. So you know that that's authentic. That genuine excitement for, for the, a game, Road Trip, that sold maybe 20,000 copies. Hey, man, they're going to sell one to me pretty soon. I've been looking at eBay. Well, Neil, there were 11 games released on launch day for the GameCube. Uh, one of the better launch days in recent memory. Uh, one of my favorite launch days, I would say. And uh, all these are real games. Yeah, they're all real games. Four of them are good. Uh, if, if, if you live in North America, we had 11 launch games, which was pretty good. Europe had way more. They had 20. And Japan only had three. So we were kind of right in that sweet spot of... What were the three Japanese ones? It was Luigi's Mansion, Wave Race, and Monkey Ball. Super Monkey Ball. Oh, well, there you go. Two of those we'll be talking about today. Yep. But before we get into the launch of the GameCube and the games we'll be talking about today, let's uh, let's kick off the show. All right, sounds good. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 50 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet, and we're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 252 games, one year in. Shout out to Nintendad, who suggested that we capture how many games we've covered so far. Yeah, might as well start doing that a year in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, never better late than never uh visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on the website was developed by our very own mike lane that's me that's him if you would like to support the show you can find us on patreon.com we are the gamecube was cool every dollar helps us grow the show and supporters at the five dollar or above level get their names read in the credits at the beginning of the show and the option to submit an opening topic if you are looking for a free way to support the show, uh, you can leave us a five-star rating on whatever podcast service you listen to us on, and you can share us with your friends and family. Last week, we covered Hot Wheels and a bunch of other racing games like Road Trip Arcade Edition, and uh, Auto Modelista is probably the, the big game that we talked about. Oh, the big game for you is Road Trip, clearly. The big, yeah, clear, <laughs> that's what stood out to me in my mind for that episode. It was a ton of fun. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. We were joined by a friend of the show, Ali, and this week we're celebrating our one-year anniversary by covering the launch day of the GameCube again because Mike we do not like that episode no and it is our first episode so obviously a lot of people have listened to that and we are very thankful for everyone who's listened to it and all the support we've gotten so far over this past year but it's it's a rough episode you know we've learned things 
uh, I'd like to think mm-hmm. we've learned things over the year that we've been doing this. You know, every single week we we pick up new tricks, we get better at editing, we get better at saying our ums or not saying our ums. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or just editing them out. But uh, it's not a great episode for Neil and I to listen back to. We tried this week and uh, it was it was cringy to say the least. It was brutal. Not only just the ums and ahs, but also just the sound quality in general. I don't know what we were recording on a year ago. I (laughs) honestly don't know. It sounds like we're on speakerphones, and I hate podcasts that sound like that. I think, you know, we we sound a lot better now than we did a year ago. Just we literally sound a lot better than we did Mm -hmm. a year ago. So uh, we want to redo it. We'll keep up the first episode on Spotify. Yeah, probably. I think Uh, we won't won't take it down. It'll always no. be so I'm, <laughs> Exactly. So, I mean, a lot of people will probably still jump in on our episode one anyway, but uh, it seems like a good time to just redo that episode and cover some of those games again, because we didn't do a great job the first time around. No, we, we definitely missed out on a lot of stuff. We didn't have our format down, so we weren't really sure how we were going to go about saying stuff about uh, about these games and, um, and talking about our memories with them. And please, if uh, you have a friend who uh, is interested in the GameCube is cool, uh, don't tell them to listen to the first episode. Tell them to start with this one. <laughs> start with episode 50. <laughs> we're, like, we're, like a, we're like a Final Fantasy game where we get good 50 hours in. <laughs> yeah. But Mike, for this episode, to start off with, I wanted to do a Q&A with some of the listeners. But first, let's uh, let's look back just between you and I. What are, what are some of the things that uh, that you've learned over the last year of podcasting? Because this is kind of our first ever uh, jump into the broadcasting space of podcasts. There's obviously a thousand podcasts out there that people could be listening to. And we didn't have any or much past experience talking on microphone for an hour, sometimes two hours a week, and then editing it, processing it, putting it out weekly. Um, so what are some of the things that you've learned in the last year? I think the one of the biggest things that I've learned is just being self-aware about my own conversation. You know, just my own conversational skills, I guess. That's mm. something that you don't really think about. You don't you don't ever listen to yourself talk to someone else, really, uh, unless no. you're in broadcasting. And so when you do, you pick up all these little things, and you're like, "Oh God, I, why am I doing that?" You know. Um, yeah. And it's it's made me a better speaker, I think, in general, and a better converser. And it's made me a lot better at listening too. A lot of times, I mm. feel most of us are aren't even really listening we're just waiting our turn to talk <laughs> and, and, I, and you can't do that you, you can't do that on a podcast no. because like you you can't zone out you have to be listening you have to have a response that makes sense to what the other person is saying otherwise it's not fun to listen to for everyone out there who downloads the show so it's it's totally true and it's not that's not how conversations really work even though they should I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in theory that's how conversations should work but yeah i remember the first time i edited a show and i was like man i say um a lot and things and, like that you know oh that was the big <laughs> one was yeah there i think it was the spider-man episode where i said and things like that like five times in a minute and you were like stop saying that <laughs> and we were able to edit it out it was hilarious though and then like i went to work the next day and i had calls and and you know zoom chats and whatever else and i i stopped saying and things like that like i was like slapping myself every time i was saying it because it's it's annoying and it's everyone has those little those little things that they say when they're when they're talking like like and and ums and it's it's something just to cut out and uh we can't edit those things out but it's easier if we can just not say them in the first place yeah i definitely think we've improved on that we've also improved on learning to edit the podcast learning to be okay with hearing our voices (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is something I think everyone has a problem with is is listening to themselves talk. So um, I mm-hmm. think we've uh, we've come a long way, Neil. 
We have. And Mike, I have to know, since we've done 50 episodes now, plus a few side mission episodes, what are some of your favorite episodes that we've recorded so far? Well, I think some of my favorites have definitely, it's, I mean, there's so, I, I've, I've enjoyed recording basically all of them, to, to be mm-hmm. perfectly honest, but I really liked doing the Zelda Collections episode with Cam, Seapox. Uh, that was really fun. Nice. Love doing the hockey episode when we had John McComon, who was the actual in-game yeah. arena announcer. And when he did last minute play in the third period, I got chills. <laughs> that was really cool. I couldn't believe you got him. Still. That, was <laughs> that, was, that was great. And Patrick Hickey Jr. too, who's an amazing yeah. uh, expert on, on that world to, to come on, was, was so great. And then the Ribbit King or the Simpsons episodes, ones with her friend John, uh, who just arrived, and that was so much fun. And Kara as well on the Ribbit King episode with mm-hmm. Marty. <laughs> uh, the Ribbit King was so fun because we also learned about uh, a new game. Was it Metal Arms that you learned about with uh, Still Loading Podcast? Yep. Uh, Josh, who was on. Yeah, we've uh, we've we've met a lot of other podcasters through this 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 podcast. Just you know, other. Uh, shows reaching out to be on and yeah that was when we first met josh from still loading i think that's the one that he wanted to come on first yeah 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 exactly that was so random like the game that we thought no one would be able to talk about and he he's a great podcaster if you haven't heard still loading podcast go check him out super underrated and he's come on since then he came on to talk to us about medal of honor and uh we've been on his show so good uh good dose of episodes there mike and what are you what are your favorites then i mean the easy one is super mario sunshine mm-hmm recording it felt the same as every other episode that we've done like they're all fun to record yeah uh, for the most part like some of the games we have to kind of get through but super mario sunshine is already a great game and then listening to the final product like you edited that one pretty much entirely on your own i think and the final product is just unbelievable how it sounds like it's a radio show and it's got we've got jingles and segments it came together really well and that was one of the earlier episodes too yeah because that was 15 you know the pod yeah, the podcast started in May, and then that episode came out in August, mm-hmm. I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah. Uh, another really fun one that we did was the Extreme Sports Games oh, episode. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was so much fun with our friends of the show, Marty, Gavin, and Victor. I was mostly listening in that episode, I think. I don't remember talking very much because I haven't played like Dave Mira mm-hmm. or the inline, the aggressive inline game or BMX Triple X, but I was dying on that episode, man. Those sto- those stories were hilarious. It was really fun to listen to to the guys talk about some because they grew up, you know, inline skating and BMX mm-hmm. uh, riding where I was more of a skate skateboarder. So the Tony Hawk game was more my speed, but it was just a ton of fun. That episode, I remember that was a really fun one. And then you mentioned the Zelda Collections episode. I'll go ahead and mention Wind Waker, which we did recently. And uh, I love Wind Waker. I've played it a bunch of times on multiple consoles. And being able to talk about it with a bunch of friends was so much fun. And it is like one of the peak GameCube games. So... It's uh you know it's going to go down in the history books I think of one of our better episodes probably in the top 10 for a while I hope I think so and uh yeah and uh excited to do uh at least 50 more at least 50 more that's right we're excited to see where everything goes cool and uh, yeah, Mike, we have some stats today. Did you want to hit the listeners there with some statistics of our show for the first year? Yeah, after one year of podcasting, it's all about the stats, Neil. That's what we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> sure, we're like we we love stats with like baseball, hockey, like growing up with sports. You know, stats is like in our DNA. So we love tracking the stats of the show too because it's just it's fun to watch the show grow little by little. Every day we're texting each other like, oh, today we got you know this many downloads or this is our best Saturday ever. And <laughs> it's it's so fun to do that. So Mike, let's let's hear some real good stats today. Well, in total, uh, we have about seventeen thousand downloads. After a year, uh, which works out to, you know, roughly 50 downloads a day. So again, 
thank you, wow. thank you, thank you so much to everyone who's downloaded and listened to us. Uh, that is just an amazing stat. And uh, I remember Neil after the first week uh, was stunned <laughs> that we had twenty downloads. So yeah, <laughs> now I would be mad if we got twenty downloads in a, in a day. Like, <laughs> Sunshine is hilarious. our most downloaded episode, as you were talking about earlier. It's uh, I think it's definitely our proudest one that we've done, uh, followed closely by Melee and uh, Nightfire, which is really awesome to see Nightfire that high up. I'm so happy that Nightfire is that high up, man. That That's like one of the biggest games for you and I to play, like from our childhood. It's the game that we've bonded over the most probably in the last 20 years. And to see like every day, like that episode, get that episode gets a few downloads and it's like, I, I don't know. Like, it's just crazy. Like no one's ever talked to me about Nightfire other than you. And like, there's people out there that love it though. It's just crazy. Makes me so we, happy. Yeah, me too. We've also gotten downloaded from at least one person in 72 different countries. Oh, that's so random. <laughs> that's a fun that's one. Yeah, that's just that's 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 a crazy stat for me. Uh, USA, Canada, and UK in that order are where the most people listen to us. But uh, sure. yeah, it's seventy-two different countries, things like uh, Jersey and Malta and uh, <laughs> random places. But hey, thank you, thank you for downloading and listening to us. And I think it's because we mentioned the Gizmondo on a fairly regular basis, and that just pings the Gizmondo countries. Yeah, that's that's yeah. what that's what <laughs> reels people in. It's coming back, coming back strong, man. Spotify and Apple is where most people find us. Uh, but we've also been downloaded on fifty-one different platforms. So that is mm. uh, that is really oh. cool. The fact that there are fifty-one platforms through download podcasts on blows my mind i can only name five i don't know where we are (laughs) i don't know we're in other places i guess that's so random and finally on spotify alone so that which accounts for about 30 percent of our listens uh we've had a thousand unique listeners which i think is really impressive nice so we have enough people there to fill i'm trying to think of a venue near us because we're from toronto ontario is that the The phoenix concert hall yeah the phoenix concert hall sounds about right and then the sky dome soon (laughs) <laughs> oh, that, that, that's a stretch goal of the sky dome listeners that's crazy some podcasts do it though some, some podcasts, podcasts do, it. do it and uh with your help we can get there yep someday we will fill the sky dome indeed but until then let's uh, include some of the listeners that we do have so far uh in the year mike i put out a couple of messages this week on facebook instagram just to see if any listeners out there had any burning questions for us you know to answer on the show this week as a sort of celebration uh, this was not part of our Patreon. This was just, you know, any question that you had for us. We're going to quickly go through the cues and we will give you the A's. So let's start with the PYW podcast, also known as Play Your Way podcast, asks, being a GameCube podcast, where do you guys see the prices of these games going for the next year, three years, 10 years? Up, down, way down? I'd say probably in three years or in the next year to three years, I think they're going to still keep going up. I, I can't see GameCube prices going down. In that short of a span, in ten years, however, you know it's obviously incredibly hard to predict. But I, I, it's definitely going to taper off at some point, and some games will drastically go down in price, while others will either stay high or you know keep going a little higher. Like something like Cube of War will never go down in price, really, in my opinion, right. because it just it's a game that has a very limited run. So there's just limited copies out there. But certain other games, yeah, like Road Rage that have more copies and that are from a, a major publisher, yeah, I can see that going going down in price quite a bit. Totally. And like the the first party Nintendo games that sold really well, like I don't know about Melee, that one might be an, an anomaly and stay really high, but games like Double Dash and Sunshine and some of the Zeldas, I think that those ones will go down eventually. Um, I think you're right that we'll probably still see them steadily rise for the next, I'm going to say, 
two years. Usually game prices with Nintendo especially tend to increase over the course of about three years because that's when the kids that grew up with that console, in this case the GameCube, are now old enough. They have We have jobs, mm-hmm. we have extra free time, and you know we have money. So we're going to spend money on those games that we played as kids. And in a few years, the Wii generation will be in that age group now where they're done with university. You know, the kids where their first the first console was the Wii with Wii Sports, they'll now want to jump back and play, I don't know, Skyward Sword or something. And uh, th- those games will start to pop up now. And then GameCube will plateau, and then it'll probably find its place. It'll decline a little bit. And the expensive games that really have no business being expensive will drop because people will realize that they're really not worth yeah. anything. Yeah. But yeah, I think games like Melee will probably stay high, uh, but uh, most of the other games will go back down. I agree. Question number two is from 33 underscore wid underscore, that's it. <laughs> and uh, they said, favorite color GameCube, favorite GameCube adapter, possible Mario Party live stream, favorite thing on about the podcast so far. Okay, that's a bunch of questions. That's a lot of questions. <laughs> uh, wid underscore wid snuck in a lot of questions Can there. do some okay. rapid fire here uh, for you. Sure. Uh, so favorite color GameCube, go Neil. Purple. Uh, GameCube adapter. Favorite GameCube adapter has to be the Game Boy Advance player, easily. Okay, yep. Uh, possible Mario Party live stream? No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a live stream someday, but right now we don't have the tech to do that stuff, and we also don't have the time or the willpower to do it, and we don't have <laughs> camera presence or anything, but maybe someday we'll do live streams and Twitch and everything else. <laughs> Favorite thing about the podcast so far? Uh, watching it grow. It's like seeing a, like your your child grow up or something, just watching it find new audiences and every week reaching new highs in terms of download numbers and listeners and uh, hearing people tell us that they listen to us while they work their crappy jobs. Uh, just seeing it expand out and grow is unbelievably fun to watch. I, I agree. And uh, I'm the exact same, except you said purple for GameCube color. Yep. Uh, orange for me. Ooh, the Spice Orange. I love okay. Spice Orange. That is my favorite GameCube color, and I would love to get a Spice Orange GameCube. I know it's Japan only, but yeah. <laughs> I like the silver one, but I think that's just because I don't have it. <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I really love it. I think it's just the fact that I don't own it. I agree. Que- question number three comes from Walla147 on Instagram. Walla asks, I would love to know who beats who at some of your favorite games. Nightfire, Double Dash, and of course, Melee. It would be great to see an epic Yoshi versus Kirby battle. Mm, that's a really good question. I like that. I like that question a lot. Um, it's yeah. something I, did, I don't think I've ever really thought about. Because in Nightfire, yeah. you and I play on the same team most of the time. We rarely face each other. We usually win, though. We do. Yes. we t- Collectively, we win. <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember the last time we played a versus mode in Nightfire. Yeah, I don't remember either, but uh, I would say if we did have to fight each other, it'd be pretty even. The thing is that we usually play against each other in Phoenix Base, which is very small, with explosives. <laughs> yes. So there's, it's really a game of chance. You're not really like it's just grenade launchers in a tight space. We're just kind of we're just trying to break the game. Uh, but I, again, it's really random who wins at that. In Double Dash, uh, I would say that that I'd say Neil wins more than I do in in Mario Kart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say Neil is the, the the better Mario Kart player than I am. I play a lot more Mario Kart than you do, to be fair. Uh, I like to think that I'm good at all of them. Yes, you are. You are. And I would say then the reverse for Melee. I think I am the better Melee player. Uh, I think Kirby does beat Yoshi. 100%. You are so much better at me than Melee. (laughs) Everybody is... I've never been good at Melee. I, as a kid, was not good at it. As an adult, never got good at it. However, you and I are pretty evenly matched on Smash Bros. Ultimate. You as Kirby, me as Yoshi. Mm -hmm. I think that we're pretty even with those two characters. I agree. When it comes to Ultimate, it's a different story. Yeah, but Melee is, uh, is a crush for Neil, for sure. You have to put so much time into being good at melee. I just, 
Uh, someday, though, if we do do a Mario Party live stream, we will absolutely do a, a Smash Bros. Uh, stream as well. Absolutely. Which Smash Bros. it is, though? We'll have to decide later. <laughs> Garrett might be dead. Great username. Um, uh, for question number four, asks, which one of you first came up with the idea to make the podcast? Or was it a mutual thing? It feels like it was mutual. I'm trying to remember now who first said, let's make a podcast. It sounds like a you idea. <laughs> so, I so I had wanted to make a podcast for a while, uh, for a long time, actually, but didn't really know where to start or what. To- I just really wanted to have a podcast to talk with my friends on, <laughs> mm. uh, honestly, because yeah. a lot of friends had moved away or were further away. And I just wanted, you know, an easy connection with them. Uh, and a podcast felt like the right thing. And then I guess Neil brought up the GameCube talking about doing a podcast about that. And that's so it was relatively mutual. But I guess I, I, I was the seed, you know? Yeah, you, you planted the seed idea, definitely. And we also like early in 2020, you and I had the idea of uh, getting together and playing more live music, like doing performances in Toronto. Yeah, that's kind of where that, that, that came from, really, I think, with the podcast as well. We were starting to get together a lot more to rehearse and, you know, we were, we played video games then too. And then obviously 2020 happened and no live music. And we were both sitting at home, not bored, but just looking for something creative to do, you know, didn't feel like just doing our jobs. And mm-hmm. uh, the podcast idea started to feel a lot more manageable since we didn't have anything to do other than that. So th- there was that too, which helped. And Mike and I both love podcasts where the the hosts cover an entire catalog of songs from a band or shows from a TV show. And we both know so much. We have such a deep history about the GameCube that we thought it made the most sense. And then we found out that there's actually a lot more games for the console than we thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here we are. Here we are. We thought we were experts, but we, we, were, we were not. But we're becoming experts. Yep, we are slowly becoming experts in the field. Soon we'll have our MD in GameCube. Finally. <laughs> or my PhD in GameCubeology. Oh, that's going to take you so far. Question number five comes from Michael underscore Gorskak. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Michael asks, what non-GameCube game would you like to have ported to the GameCube? That's a good question. I would love, like, are we talking about just, like, complete fantasy world here? Uh, are, are, are we, you know? I would have said games that came out in the sixth generation of games hardware. So games off of PS2, Xbox, and Dreamcast. And not necessarily games that were published or developed by Sony, Microsoft, or, or Sega. So, like, you can pick a Sony exclusive game, I would say. Okay. Like, you can pick Shadow of the Colossus if you want to, for example. Um, let's just go with any a port of any game from the sixth generation of consoles. Let's go with A that. couple of them. Burnout 3 is one that I would have loved to have on mm-hmm. here. That I was, I'm upset that, that it wasn't because Burnout 2 yeah. was so good on here. And it doesn't make sense that Burnout 3 wasn't on here. GTA... I would have loved to have a GTA game on here because when I was a kid, I didn't, I only had a GameCube, so I could only play things that were on the GameCube. And with that said, real dream fantasy here would be Halo, having Halo on the game, ported to the GameCube, because I loved Halo 1. I played that a lot on PC with, um, with friends uh, when I was growing up. So I, I really would have loved to have that just on, as on a GameCube. Microsoft is so wild. You might not know this, Mike, but there was actually talk of putting Halo on DS. I don't know if you know that. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, there's like a, there's a story behind that, but that's for a whole other day. Mm-hmm. Good choice of games for sure. I would have to go with personally uh, Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2 oh, would good. have been yeah, wild. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. On GameCube would have been so cool. Those games are on PlayStation 2 is where most people played them. I think they're also on Xbox and PSP, which is where I played them yes. to death. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2 on PSP, hundreds of hours on that game. 
And uh, it would have been sweet to have them on GameCube, especially after we saw Rogue Squadron 2, what Star Wars games can look like on GameCube, like Factor 5 with Battlefront 2, or Pandemic making it would have been so cool. So that would have been my choice if I could have any non-GameCube game put onto the GameCube. That would have been my choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Question number six, Game Boys in the Wild uh, asks, you guys into Game Boys at all? <laughs> if uh, okay. if so, uh, which we are, what has been your experience with them? I love the hybrid nature of the cube and how it basically doubled as a GBA. Just curious, given my Game Boy focused account. Love the show. Keep up the awesome content. Sweet. I mean, we love the Game Boy. Uh, we both had Game Boys growing up. Uh, specifically, Pokemon, I think, was why we liked the Game Boy. That was We were that perfect age where... You know, we got Game Boys when we were in, I was in grade one, I think, when I got it. And uh, there's some Donkey Kong games on Game Boy, which are fantastic. I don't know if you're talking specifically about the original Game Boy or not, but the Game Boy Advance was also a ton of fun in the 2000s. They have some great cartoon show movie tie-in games on there, as well as some good SNES uh, ports. And uh, I've gone back recently and played Minish Cap and Wario Land. So yeah, love the Game Boys. And uh, who could forget like playing Link Cable with your with your siblings or your cousins mm -hmm. when they come over uh, to, to fight Pokemon with. It's just such a an amazing experience that is so tied to my childhood. Yeah, same here. Game Boys are actually really what got me into gaming. I talked earlier on in episodes past where I didn't have consoles growing up. I had Game Boys. I had the Game Boy Color was the first thing I ever got. So I have a huge love for Game Boys and and really uh, a lot of, owe a lot of debt to that I guess uh, to getting me into to gaming itself. Um, my Game Boy Color was my best friend for sure. <laughs> I love that thing. <laughs> getting my Game Boy Advance afterwards, my Game Boy Advance SP, which I was very lucky to get, and it's probably my favorite handheld console ever. I love the Game Boy Advance SP. It's the perfect console mm -hmm. in my opinion. I I love the Game Boy and Game Boys are awesome. I can't wait to talk more about game boys one day <laughs> yeah maybe someday who knows we will see next question comes from alex olson if you had two hours to sit down and play gamecube with keanu reeves which games do you play with him and why i had to think about this one for a while because this is a tough question and it's a great question thank you alex um I, the first my first thought would be matrix reloaded the matrix right. game that's on the gamecube but then I was like, well, does Keanu really want to play A himself and B a Matrix game? I think he's a little tired of the Matrix. So Probably. Uh, I, I, I'm like, okay, let's, let's, if I have Keanu over, which, you know, I often do, uh, mm -hmm. I, I gotta, I gotta see, you know, what he's into. And I feel like Keanu would be a big Ribbit King guy. Ribbit King is just, just weird enough, but a fun two player experience that I think Keanu would, would be, would really dig it. He would definitely love that game. He seems like a weird enough guy that he would be so into Ribbit King. Like, just would that be the only game that you show him? You just like show him your copy of Matrix Reloaded and be like, oh, look what I have. But no, seriously, let's play Ribbit King. <laughs> That's exactly what would happen. Keep in mind, you have two hours. You're not gonna you're not gonna pick anything else. You think just that? I'm just so focused in on Ribbit King right now. Uh, what about Got you? It. Uh, see, this question reminded me of the Jimmy Fallon episode where he brings Pierce Brosnan on to play Goldeneye, and I love this question so much. I, I, like you, Mike, was thinking about Matrix and like it would be kind of fun, but you're right. He's definitely tired of that, I would I would have to imagine. Because we're friends, so, you know. I mean, uh, yeah. like, it's not like it's some fan. It's it's me and Keanu. We haven't seen mm. each other in years. I fly to Vancouver and we're hanging out at his at his mansion and, you know, we're, I, brought, I brought over Ribbit King. And what did you bring over? Yeah, you guys are boys. 
I brought over, see, me and Keanu, because we're on first name basis yeah. here, uh, we're both really into the whole sci-fi thing. Like, like he loves science fiction movies and video games. You know, he's in cyberpunk, kind of. And uh, so I would want to bring over some of the really good sci-fi and horror video like games on the GameCube. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm going to show Keanu Time Splitters 2. Yes, I love that. That's a great one. I thought, I think if they make a Time Splitters movie, Keanu Reeves should be in it, hands down. Yes. Um so I'd show him Time Splitters 2 because it's a fun GoldenEye-like game. I think we'd have a ton of fun playing multiplayer and a little bit of the campaign. So I think I'll, I'm going to use that first hour to play Time Splitters 2. And then uh, the second hour, I think it'd be really fun to play Eternal Darkness with Keanu Reeves because I have a feeling he'd like a horror video game. And, you know, most most people have played the Resident Evil games. I'm sure he knows those. Not that they're not great games, but I want to show him a totally GameCube experience. And Eternal Darkness would be a ton of fun because it's just so different. I agree. I 100% agree with that. And that actually leads into our next question here, Neil. Uh, Resident Evil Collector asks, what's your favorite horror title on the GameCube? And I got to say, Neil, uh, I, I, think, I think Eternal Darkness might be my favorite i know it's you know obviously the resident evil games are really cool in it uh and i can't say i've ever played code veronica because if i if i have played code veronica i think i might have picked that because that looks like such a unique uh gamecube experience yeah i remember when we were talking about code veronica in the resident evil episode it sounds really neat i hope that capcom do it justice and give it a remake someday yeah because i think that those tank controls are just pushing me away a little too much uh i would have to go with resident evil 4 as being my favorite horror game on the GameCube. Uh, I do love Eternal Darkness. But yeah, the easy choice has to be RE4. It's so good. It's just, if you've you've never played RE4, do yourself a favor, pick up a copy. It's on bloody everything at this point. Like, pick up any console you have and you'll find it on the eShop or whatever. We'll talk about it later on this year a lot more. Yes, we will. Question number nine comes from Winter's Jed. And Jed wants to know, if you guys are truly best friends the only way to prove it would be a few short rounds of the newlywed game (gasps) and see how many questions you both answer the same so mike the newlywed game we both get asked a question and we have to see if we answer the same the same way and if not we're clearly we're not lovers even though we obviously are (laughs) all right well cue the music because we need the music here for the newlywed game or also as in parks and rec as tom calls it no yaboo it's time to know y'all. I don't have the instrumental backing track yet, but it's the same boo right there. Where did you two first meet? Three, two, one. Baseball. baseball. Ah, ah good. Impressive. But no, definitely baseball. Mike and I met playing rookie ball um, in 2001. Mm-hmm. This one is not answered at the same time, but uh, Mike, what is my, Neil, favorite band? Neil's favorite band, well, I mean, that's kind of a loaded question, and it probably changes from day to day, but I would say Neil's favorite band is Bad Religion. Hmm, that's a good that's a good guess, Mike, but unfortunately, that's incorrect. It's The Wonder Years. Oh! <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I love Bad Religion, but no, it's, uh, it's The Wonder Years, hands down. That makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So Mike's favorite band. Now, when Mike and I were in high school, Mike's favorite band was hands down, I would have said The Beatles, if you asked me this question 10 years ago. I, I like the Beatles when I and I still like the Beatles, but I, I've grown up musically. You know, I, I'm into other things. So mm-hmm. now you see, Mike takes a lot of pride of not really having like a favorite album, a favorite song, a favorite band, because you're very much like, what are you feeling that day, right. that month, that year, that di- that hour? Uh, so you really have such an eclectic music taste that I don't know if you have a favorite. I feel like this is a trick question, and you don't have a favorite band. But if I were to give an answer, like gun to my head, I would say Weezer. What'd you boo say? 
Oh, that's, I mean, Weezer's a good guess. I mean, my answer was going to be the trick question that I don't have a favorite oh, band. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that's what I figure. Because every time I ask you, like, what are your top 10 albums? You're like, I'm not answering that today. <laughs> yeah, because it does change. It does change. It does. It's like when we ask, like, our favorite Green Day albums. It's always like, oh, don't, don't ask. <laughs> what video game did we play first together? Jeez. Or last play together in person? <sighs> All right. Okay, so let's answer at the same time then. One, two, three. Fall guys? Oh yeah! Oh okay, sweet. Yeah, okay. yeah that was that was uh, back back in November. Yeah, that was um, that we played together. We did meet up in November when the pandemic was not that bad in Ontario, and we had to figure out what to do for the next year ahead of podcasting. So we definitely played Fall Guys together. Yeah, we tried to decide if we wanted to put Fall Guys in in the podcast as the 556th <laughs> GameCube game, and we decided against it. <laughs> yeah, we unfortunately, it's not a GameCube game. And the first game we played together, it's got to be an N64 game, right? Because well, it, it, he says or, so I'm just I'm just giving oh. up. I'm just I, there's no way I'm, we're gonna know. So <laughs> no, I mean it probably wasn't a GameCube game because we didn't have the GameCube until we had been friends for almost five years. Probably, so I'm thinking it's maybe like the SNES, like a Mario Kart on the SNES. That that would be my guess. No, I didn't have the Mario Kart on SNES, so oh. I'm gonna say Mario Kart on N64. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's my guess, but I honestly don't remember. What Nintendo character do I, Neil, most resemble? Let's check in with you, boo! Waluigi, because you're tall and, you know, a bit <sighs> lanky. Oh, I, I feel hurt. Booyah! Somebody don't know they boo! I would have I thought that I look like, I think I look like Red from Pokemon Red. I don't know. That's kind of where I'm Yeah, I, I was thinking of, like, the core Nintendo Mushroom Kingdom style. Oh, you know? okay. That changes my answer completely now because mine was from Earth. Mine was from Oh, Lucas. Yeah, yeah, you're going to say Lucas. <laughs> I, I was thinking Lucas, but then I actually saw a character from Earthbound that looks a little bit more like you because he has glasses. Oh, yeah. Has, like, uh, Jeff, I think uh, his name Jeff, is. Yeah, Jeff yeah. Andonauts. Yeah. Yeah, you look a bit like Jeff Andonauts. I hope I'm saying that right, but that, that's who you look like the most. Then I'll go back and I'll say that you look like Red or Ash or, you know, you, you look like, okay. like uh, a Pokemon trainer. Thank you. Okay, I will take that. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you for all those questions, uh, Jed. And uh, on to number 10 here from Mike Trigiani, who asks, do you guys have a plan for once you finish up the GameCube library? Possibly the Wii was cool podcast? Hell no. The Wii has such a... Well, as we said, uh, uh, we're going to have Gizmondo was cool first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that vast library of 25 games. We can't wait to cover that. Uh, we don't have any specific plan yet uh, for what to do after the GameCube was cool. We do have definitely a plan to do something because we both seem to really love this this hobby, podcasting, and it's a mm -hmm. great outlet for us to be creative and sort of flex our Mike's graphic design muscle, and uh, I like talking and talking about video games. So don't worry. We definitely have a plan to do something after we've covered all 555 games. But right now, we don't have anything to announce. We do have ideas, but we don't want anybody to steal those ideas. So we're probably <laughs> not going to say them now. <laughs> and yeah, we we unfortunately will not be doing a The Wii Was Cool podcast because there are just so many games in that library. Uh, the GameCube is really mm -hmm. perfect because it has a very finite amount of games, you know, fi like just a little over 500. It makes it relatively easy to talk about where like the PlayStation 2 has, you know, over 1,600. The Wii has uh, definitely over 1,000. Uh, there's just, you know, I, I would love to talk about some of the games on the Wii that we love, such as Return to Dreamland. But um, yeah, we'll see what the future holds. Well, thank you so much for that question, Mike. Uh, let's move on to question 11, which comes from Hannah. Hannah wants to know, if you could design your own Mario Kart track, what would you do? Ooh, that's a good question. I would love to have 
two things really one where you have uh, an option to almost like go into space you know from ground to space uh would oh. be awesome so you start at the ground and you end at rainbow road like one of those kind of um tracks i love that idea i think that would be really fun and the, the other one that i would love to do is an is another one where it's not laps but just one point to the other and it's going across like a desert you know it's almost like a um dakar like rally i was gonna say yeah <laughs> that would be really <laughs> cool and y you make it feel like you're on like desert areas it gets like the really rumbly when you're in parts uh the, the the traction changes so yeah those are the kind of tracks i would design that's a great idea uh if i had to do something with mario kart i feel like mario kart doesn't have any sort of a boss fight mode and I don't mean like when you're fighting bosses in your car, firing shells at them or anything. I just mean like there's no like big monsters kind of destroying the, the track or kind of interacting with the cars or even racing. Like I love in Diddy Kong Racing where you race against bosses and it's it's a ton of fun. But my mind goes to uh, uh, Super Mario Odyssey with the dragon. Yeah. Spoilers for Mario Odyssey. But just that, uh, seeing a, like a lifelike dragon or lifelike fantasy dragon in Mario Odyssey broke my brain in a sense <laughs> that I've never really had or like the T-Rex yeah. like something like that where there's like real life things going on in Mario Kart and like giant dragons would be so cool I think just having some kind of giant monster on the track doing something if it's destroying the track or interacting with the cars in some way or maybe you're racing against it I don't know I think that that'd be that'd a lot be of sick. fun like it's always car versus car, and not that that's getting boring or anything. I just think it's time to maybe throw something different into the into the track, and that would be a lot of fun. Agreed, agreed. And this last question that we have for the day from PJ says, Do you think Nintendo's propensity for first-party games when compared to Sony and Microsoft works in their favor or against them? That's a, that's a difficult question because Nintendo has been uh, criticized for the last, I would say, five to seven years of leaning too hard into their first party catalog of Zelda, Mario, and Pokemon to sort of save them. And they don't have any diversity in their first party lineup mm -hmm. compared to some of the other uh, companies. I think that they're doing a way better job with their first party games than Microsoft is. I think Sony's actually beating Nintendo in the first party space with their uh, games. Like they're, they're using their first party developers to, to make, to make games like Last of Us and Horizon Zero Dawn, which originally the team was making Killzone. So they're letting their, their teams sort of stretch their legs and make something different and out of their comfort zone. And it seems to be working for them. Whereas Nintendo is using their first party studios to keep pumping out Zelda and Mario Golf, which we're getting soon, which is great, but it's like, can, can they not do anything new? I mean, we've had Splatoon in the last few years, which was neat. And we got Pikmin in 2001, which was a long time ago now. And it just feels like that they're not expanding that first party uh, lineup anymore. It's a blessing and a curse for sure. Exactly. It's such a difficult question. So I think that they're doing well with their games, but I think that they do need to get the third party support in there um, for sure. I mean, it works for Nintendo for the most part. Sometimes they get lucky with things like Animal Crossing, but uh, I kind of disagree, Neil. I think actually Nintendo does a better job with their with their IPs brands than Sony does. Because uh, you're right, Sony in the last couple of years has been has put these really strong games out, but they don't really push those brands, those those game brands that well. They kind of fall off a lot. And Nintendo, by having stuff like Mario Kart, like Smash Bros, was able to you know kind of make those brands very coherent and and very applicable to everyone and everyone knows a kirby uh, a mario uh, a link a samus it's it's very universal where the playstations are not at all but it's it, it kind of leads back to the gamecube right where gamecube was doing a lot of uh, the the gamecube titles were so different from whatever nintendo was putting out before and and since 
so I think, yeah, it, it does hurt them, but it goes in their favor in terms of, of commercial sales at this moment, but it could definitely be mm-hmm. hurting them in the long run. Definitely. I mean, I think that I think that them having their first party characters is great. Like they have Mario, which is synonymous with Nintendo, where Sony doesn't have that character. Mm-hmm. So you are right. On the one hand, their first party games are creating an image for them. But on the other hand, it is kind of keeping them anchored in 1985, which a lot of gamers, I think, are getting tired of. But it's good for us because we like those games anyway. So we're going to keep buying them. That's right. Well, that was our last question. Thank you so much for all the questions and for writing in uh, to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. That was our first ever Q&A, which was a lot of Mm -hmm. fun. Maybe we'll do it again on episode 100. But for now, Mike, let's dive back one year and redo the GameCube's launch, shall we? Well, let's actually dive back even further than that, Neil. Let's go back to November 18th, 2001. Okay, sounds good. (laughs) November 18th, 2001, the GameCube launched in North America for 199 USD. This was Nintendo's sixth generation of home consoles, along with the PlayStation 2, Xbox, and the Sega Dreamcast. Now, Mike, let's talk a little bit about our memories of the launch of the GameCube up front here. Do you remember when the GameCube came out? Because I do. I remember the marketing behind this game was all over TV. Like, there were TV commercials all over the place for the GameCube, as well as, like, teenage magazines, like skate magazines and whatnot. I feel like they were really pumping the GameCube hard in North America to really sell it to to teenagers. Yeah, it felt like the in thing, for sure. I remember the ads. I remember really, really begging my parents for one, and they were like, there's no way. You already have a console. You have a Game Boy Advance. Why would you need anything else? <laughs> and, and so I I do remember it in those magazines, and I, I do remember it being this mature kind of style thing, but I was like, but... Mario's on here. This is like mm-hmm. okay, I can I can probably convince my parents to get this. Yeah. No, exactly. And my parents wanted me to get it because it had SpongeBob on there and Spider-Man and they did start off trying to be a mature console for for teenagers and adults at this point, but they eventually did rubber band back to being that Mario Kirby uh, Pikmin console, which was mainly for kids. They did have a ton of third-party support on the console to start with, though. Uh, I mean, we've, we've talked about a lot of games from like Activision and EA and Midway and Acclaim, for better or worse. Those companies put out games <laughs> yep. onto the GameCube. But this was the last generation where Nintendo were trying to fight with Sony and Microsoft to be a competitor. And they were putting out games of equal quality in terms of graphics and gameplay. And uh, we haven't seen anything like this since, so it's it's kind of sad to look back on it now as a time when, when Nintendo was being uh, for gamers gamers and not so much for families, and they definitely went the opposite direction with the Wii, which came out and sort of, it didn't. I don't think it killed the GameCube early. The GameCube was on the market for about six or seven years, all told, from 2001 until about 2000. Seven was the last GameCube game released. Yeah, yeah, 2007. But I mean, it was it was dead by 2006. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. And all in all, we had 555 North American GameCube games, and uh, some of the biggest games like of all time that people talk about are on the GameCube. We have ga- we got games like Super Smash Bros. Melee, uh, Super Mario Sunshine, Metroid Prime, Resident Evil 4, and Wind Waker, uh, as well as a bunch of multiplayer experiences are on the GameCube. So it is a great library of games, I would have to say. Yeah, just a great library of games, and uh, there were 11 launch games for North America. Uh, on the GameCube. And you talked about earlier how there was a lot more in PAL uh, region and a lot less in Japan. But let me just say, uh, list the launch games that we have here, Neil. Sure. Sounds good. So we're covering today Batman Vengeance, Crazy Taxi, Star Wars Rogue Leader, Rogue Squadron 2, Super Monkey Ball, Wave Race Blue Storm, 
And then we've already covered Luigi's Mansion, which is on episode two. Dave Mira Freestyle BMX, uh, which is on Extreme Sports, uh, episode six. NHL Hits 2002 on episode nine. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3, episode 16, Tony Hawk Games. Madden NFL 2002 on episode 17, Football Games. Tarzan Untamed on episode 29, Movie Tying Games. And most recently, All-Star Baseball 2002 on episode 45, Baseball Games. I don't know about you, Mike, but that that's an incredible launch lineup, that's in my opinion. That's a really good launch lineup. Like, I'm thinking the Switch. I'm thinking PS2. I'm thinking a lot of these big consoles, and they don't even come close to, to the quality and quantity uh, of these games. No, and just like the the wide amount, the wide variety of game genres that they had, like they covered almost every sport. They had some extreme sports in there. They had games for kids, games for adults, game for Star Wars fans, game for Nintendo fans. They really covered all their bases for for the launch day, and that doesn't even count the games that came out between November 18th and December 31st of 2001, where yeah. they also got games like Pikmin and Super Smash Bros. Melee. So there's a ton to do on the GameCube within the first few months of the console's launch. They really came out of the gates firing here. Yeah, no, very impressive for a console that didn't end the same way. It did not. It only ended up selling about 21.75 million units by all said and done, which is a is a failure in the video game market. Uh, it lost to the PlayStation 2, which sold well over 100 million units, and the Xbox, which sold uh, somewhere around 25 million units, I think. So the Xbox didn't do great either, but it did sell better than the GameCube, which was a huge blow to Nintendo, uh, who you know have been in the game market at this point for over 15 years with the NES coming out in 1985 and this being Microsoft's first crack at the console market they probably took that a little personally I would have to imagine uh, which was sad and you know we saw a lot of ups and downs with Nintendo in the GameCube generation with them losing uh, certain partners like Rare and you know it was just too bad to see them sort of crumble a little bit with some of the decisions that they made but we can talk about that a little bit later. For now, let, let's talk about five of the GameCube launch games, which we covered back in episode one of the GameCube is Cool podcast, and uh, try and do these games a little bit more justice now that we have better mic presence. What do you say? <laughs> better mic presence and better mics. Let's do it. Okay, sounds good. So let's start with the game number one for today, which is Star Wars Rogue Squadron 2 Rogue Leader, which was released on November 18, 2001. This was developed by Factor 5. It's published by LucasArts in North America and Activision in Europe. It's only on GameCube, and today it prices around $50. It rates about a 9 out of 10, and all in all sold about 1.13 million copies on GameCube, which is a great success for Factor 5 in the early 2000s. They didn't have any huge heavy hitters at the time, and this was their fastest selling game up until that point. And uh, if you're listening to this episode around launch, 50 bucks for this game is an absolute steal. This game is a masterpiece. Yeah, and you mentioned sales numbers. So this is the second best selling launch title uh, of all the 11 launch titles I listed earlier on. Luigi's Mansion being number one. So well done for Rogue Squadron here to kick off the GameCube's launch really well. And you're right, Neil. It's just a fantastic game and still at a, a decent price point. I think it's only going to go up uh in in years to come but i gotta say it's the worst title game <laughs> oh god on here. it's horrible <laughs> it's bad uh, it, it is a sequel to star wars rogue squadron one which was on n64 and then it's a it's a prequel i guess to the the rogue squadron 3 also on gamecube so i think that they were kind of stuck in between wanting to make it a sequel to the fairly successful uh rogue squadron one on n64 keeping that brand while also making it a sequel name so i think that they were just stuck and were kind of anchored to that uh, 
they're just beholden to making it a sequel to Rogue Squadron. So it is a terribly named game, though. <laughs> like, you look at the box art, and it's just, you know, LucasArts Presents, it's Star Wars, it's Rogue Squadron, it's Rogue Leader. It's really confusing on what the game is titled. But uh, I in episode one, I said that I had never played this game. I lied, Neil. I lied. Uh, I, mostly you? because I forgot. I did play bits and pieces of it. Uh, I'm definitely not an expert on it at all. We actually got to talk about this game on another podcast. I'm not sure if the, the episode is up yet. It will be eventually once, you know, at some point in the future. It was on uh, I Rebel, a Star Wars podcast, which is a great podcast if you're really into the Star Wars world and you want to know a lot more and go more in depth into Star Wars knowledge that uh, we could not bring to the table as well as, uh, as she did. Uh, and it was great to be on there to talk about this game. Yeah, we got to go really deep into the game, talked about it for like an hour and a half, which we're not going to do today. We're going to go more top level on this game and our experience with it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I have I don't have memories of playing this game at the time of it coming out. I do remember playing Rogue Squadron 1 on the N64 and then never really playing this one until I was in high school where a, a friend of ours from high school, Abdullah, he bought a copy of it on Amazon and uh, you know, a few weeks went by or whatever and it never came in. And I think he had to get the seller to send him a second copy. And he ended up getting both copies in the mail. <laughs> uh, so one day we went to go see, I don't know, like the last Harry Potter film, I think. And he showed up with a copy of Rogue Squadron 2. And he knew that I was GameCube collecting at the time. And uh, he's like, hey, do you, do you want this? It's I don't need it. Like, I got a free copy. So I took it home and played it. And I thought it, like, my first, my first, uh, my first opinion of the game was just... This looks incredible. Like this yeah. looks like for a GameCube game in at the time 2011 looked like anything that you could see on Xbox 360 and PS3, not in HD, but I was playing it on a tube TV, so it looked fantastic looking at it on a tube TV and the sound the sound quality was equal to anything. Like if you closed your eyes, you'd think you're watching a Star Wars film just because they also have the voice actors from the Star Wars films. Mm -hmm. Like they have Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Anthony Daniels is there. Uh, Dennis Lawson comes back as Wedge. Wedge Antilles. Yeah, Wedge Antilles. He, uh, he comes back and makes some new, uh, some new lines for himself, uh, whereas they used sort of stock footage for the other characters. Mark Hamill is not in this game. They use a, a voice actor by the name of Bob Bergen, who is sort of like the Luke Skywalker voice actor. Uh, Mark Hamill doesn't usually do the Luke Skywalker voice, so he's in the, in the game, and you can tell. <laughs> you can tell it's yeah, not Luke, sure. but uh, the game takes missions from the original three Star Wars films, and... I got to say, this is one of the best flight simulation games I've ever played. Oh, it just, it's, the controls are extremely smooth, seamless. Um, one of the only flight games on the GameCube, um, actually, and probably, well, not probably, it is the best flight game on the GameCube. It's that and, it's this and Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Star Fox Assault. I guess, yeah, Star, Star Fox Assault as well. Yeah, that's um, true. People often have this game in their top 10 GameCube games and always in their top 10 Star Wars games, uh, mm -hmm. which speaks a lot to how great this game is and how well it's held up. You know, honestly, great missions, great sound design, like you said. That's what really sticks out to me is the sound design. I know that's a weird thing to say about a game released 20 years ago, but it, mm -hmm. it's I'd say the sound design is better than most games that come out today. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, not an easy game to master. Quite a difficult game to play. Definitely. I mean, like, it's it's a game that, like, when you pick it up, there's not a lot of hand-holding. Like, there's no tutorials. They kind of, they, through the, actually, you need to listen to the game, because through the, um, I guess, the banter between the pilots, that's kind of how you learn how to use your weapons. Yes. Almost like a real Star Wars movie, where they tell you to, you know, use your blasters, or switch to ion cannons, and, and that's kind of how you have to know what to use and when to use it. 
so it it is a lot like being a pilot in the Star Wars universe, where you know it's it's not so much like learning the levels and having the muscle memory because every level is different every time you play it. Uh, just with the way the ships all interact with each other. Um, so, I mean, you can learn the weapons after playing it for a while, but like, it's not intuitive what, how to switch over to bombs and to blasters right away. You kind of need to have the manual, I guess, or to, to look it up online now. So in that sense, it is very difficult to master. And even flying the, the, the ships at times can be fairly difficult yeah. because it is kind of that inverted pilot control where, you know, you pull up to to go to go up or you pull up to go down sorry it's all inverted so it is very much a flight sim and it's not like an, an on rails shooter game which they could have easily have just made like a star fox clone uh, it yeah. being on rails and uh you know automatically like the ships flying around the adats to tie up their legs like from the movies it's not oh, the hoth battles are so much fun but they're really hard they're very hard like flying around the adats in that game is is honestly the, one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do, mostly because I'm terrible at, at navigating a 3D space in games, I think. But like trying to position your your, uh, your ship at the right point and flying around the, uh, the AT-ATs three times to, to tie them up was a real challenge. And on top of that, the, each level has sort of like a metal system in place where you need to beat the level with a certain accuracy. Yep. You have to kill a certain number of enemies under a certain time to get gold medals like in uh, Star Wars where they get medal uh, they get awarded a medal at the end of a new hope. And it feels like you said that you know it feels like a modern game in that sense because a lot of modern games do that nowadays but the one thing that is very of the time was very t- 2001 is the fact that this game does one thing really really well and that's that's a bit of a lost art. Yeah, like I mean in in the EA Star Wars era that we're in right now like this type of a game the the whole flight sim part is one section of the game maybe one mission of the campaign and then one part of the online ecosystem and that's it whereas this game is just 10 or 11 missions and you're only flying you never get off the ship and that's it and like you said like that is just a very 2000s game thing to do they still do it today but it's more for like the indie games Mm -hmm. where it's just going to be a flight sim it's just going to be a a racing game whereas now we have games like gta where you do everything in those games and your game has to do everything otherwise why buy it yeah and it's it, like yeah it's it's a bit of a lost art in that sense because when you have these games that do everything often they don't do anything that well you know they do everything okay you know enough to get by that's kind of how i felt about fallen order yes uh where it yeah. does everything okay you know it, it's a decent game i don't have anything against it but it's nothing like a, a rogue leader where you're you're you really do feel like you're in that that star wars universe and you have so much fun doing those missions even though they are just doing that one thing i know it's incredibly sad and i think ea it's when you look at ea sales actually like they're in the top three of the top 10 selling star wars games like their games that they've put out are all some of the best-selling star wars games of all time Mm -hmm. which is too bad i think it's mainly the name that's selling the game whereas yeah whereas this game sold because of the quality of it and like from from stem to stern this game is is a true star wars experience even we we gushed a little bit in the i rebel podcast about the menu system of the game and just how intuitive the ui is from picking a mission to picking your ship to starting the game it's so beautiful and it's it's not bogged down by you know pop-ups and different features and and microtransactions (laughs) microtransactions which is a huge issue nowadays not so much anymore but it's just so easy to to jump into the game and start playing within just a few minutes. Like you're playing that first level and then soon after that you're playing Hoth and then soon after that you're on Endor. Like it's just so snappy and, and, and just a true great game. Last thing I wanted to say before you read the back of the box is you talked earlier in the in the first episode. You said that it was a bit strange that they actually did a game based solely on the original trilogy. 
when the prequels were actively coming out. And I thought that was something that we should bring up again, because that is really, really odd and something that would never happen again today. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, I mean, Factor 5, or Nintendo, had already, they had just had Battle for Naboo on uh, N64, so they had just made uh, a prequel game. But yeah, like 2001, we're looking at, at this point, Star Wars Episode 2 would have been about to come out, and the GameCube had Clone Wars come out later. Uh, but you're right, it is very strange that they didn't have a game, this game is not tied to the prequels at all, like there's nothing to do with that, it's all the Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and, and Harrison Ford uh, trilogy. I don't know what the what the decision was there to do that. I know that, I do know that Factor 5 made this game, it was a tech demo for the GameCube, which they only had a certain amount of time to do it in, and it would have been for around two, 1999, 2000, they only had a few weeks to make the demo. So at that point, I, my thinking is that they, they it was too early to make a prequel game. Like they didn't have the rights to make a prequel game yet. And by the time they had the rights from Nintendo to make a Star Wars game for the GameCube, it was probably too late to, uh, to tie in the prequels or they just didn't want to. From the time when GameCube was announced in 1999 to the time it came out, I just think that it was too soon to make it for this studio specifically. Other studios were making uh, prequel games, like we had Podracer and battle for naboo and whatnot but uh i guess the factor five just said didn't get the uh the rights to that yet yeah yeah no most likely but um with that let's uh let's read the back of the case sounds good but first victor hit us with that sweet jingle it's time to read what's on the back of the case there's things written on the back of the case let's read them and now we're reading the back of the case Leader standing by. Awesome cinematic graphics and intense action-packed gameplay put you in the movies. Be Luke Skywalker or Wedge Antilles and fly your choice of X-Wings, B-Wings, Y-Wings, Snowspeeders, and more. 11 plus heroic missions send you to Hoth, Cloud City, the Death Star, and other legendary Star Wars locales. Featuring the voice of Dennis Lawson, the original Wedge Antilles. Very nice, very nice. Very nice indeed. So let's move on to game number two on our launch day, which is Wave Race Blue Storm, which came out on November 18th, 2001. This game was developed by Nintendo Software Technology. It's published by Nintendo. This is a GameCube exclusive. Today, priced at around $25, and it rates about an 8 out of 10. This would be a sequel to the N64 classic racing game, Wave Race. In, uh, from 1996. I can safely say this is the cheapest Nintendo published and developed game on the GameCube. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, now that we've we've done, you know, almost half the library, I can <laughs> and I know we know the prices pretty well. Yeah, this is extremely cheap for a Nintendo published and developed game and let's just talk about that for a second. So this is a game that Nintendo did create all by themselves and it does not feel like it at all. It feels like they got a third party to do this and I think that's kind of, you know, it is a good game. You know, we we did have fun playing it uh and we enjoy this game, but but I think it's one of its biggest downfalls is the fact that it doesn't feel Nintendo at all. No. It doesn't. It has like kind of quirky elements to it. We'll get to that in a little bit. This game did do okay in terms of the launch lineup. Like it sold the third best, which I think is fair. Yes. Um, I think it was between this one and probably Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3, which is a better game in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But uh, Luigi's Mansion and Rogue Squadron 2 outsold it, obviously. Uh, you said that it feels like another 
company developed it. I honestly get serious Dreamcast vibes from this game. Yeah. I don't know why. I think it's just because of the summary nature of it and how arcadey it is. It just feels like a game that should have been on Dreamcast. GameCube really was the uh, the, the console of the summary, though, <laughs> with sunshine in this. <laughs> I just love how the sixth generation of games, specifically the GameCube and the Dreamcast, just feel like they captured summer and like waves and water so well in all of their games. Like It just feels like you're on vacation when you're playing those consoles compared to like the seventh generation where it feels like everybody just went super dark with their games and very moody and aggressive but anyway wave race blue storm it was a pretty quality racing game it's by far not the best racing game on the console though i think that the 8 out of 10 is fair it might be that might be the highest score i think i'd give it 8 out of 10 yep it has a few modes in the game there's championship mode time attack stunt mode and multiplayer there's also a free roam uh, section in the game which is kind of neat not a lot of racing games do that where you can uh, explore the, uh, the course with no goal. You can just kind of get plopped down and go in reverse. I love that. That's honestly probably one of my favorite parts because so this week you lent me Wave Race because I don't own it. And I played it before, but I, I just, you know, wanted to play it a bit to get ready for the episode. And I kind of forgot how to play. <laughs> and so <laughs> I just, I went into, because the, the tutorial system sucks uh, to like learn how, relearn how to play. Yeah. And so I just went into Free Roam and figured out all the buttons there. And that was a lot of fun. And you're right. I don't think I've ever really seen that in uh in other racing games where you're able to actually explore a course like i would love to do that in mario kart yeah it'd be really neat um i i was trying to think of the closest thing possible and the only thing i could think of was the wii u mario kart game where in battle mode the battle courses are just the main courses uh open to battle mode and that's it so you can kind of explore there but yeah you have missions to do there you have to fight against other people this one is completely just roam around and see the world i guess which and this kind of ties into what you were talking about uh up front with star wars where it does one thing really well and yep. a wave race video game now is just like what, what's the best jet ski racing game mike out there that you can play <laughs> i don't know grand theft auto <laughs> like... there you go gta 5 which that that's exactly right so to have a game this was probably towards the end of that era of doing one thing really well and gta like that's that's completely free roaming it's not just the courses you can roam around the entire world so it is neat and there were other jet ski-esque games that came out around this time specifically splashdown which wave race competed directly with Hmm. Uh, splashdown came out two weeks earlier on the ps2 and xbox uh in 2001 which i thought was pretty funny um and oh yeah only in 2001 because you have two competing water racing games (laughs) (laughs) and both games are pretty much the same very similar but the major difference that i found is the water graphics for wave race because uh the gamecube as we know from the super mario sunshine episode gamecube could handle water textures way better than any other console at this time Mm mm-hmm yeah, when that when that game starts up, I think it's the menu that shows you kind of the waves on the beach. They look really good, and that I know that they do. I know that that's just a menu, but even like during the races themselves, like the wave physics is actually a gameplay element of the game. Like you have to know how to read the waves yeah. and read the weather as well. So it's a very deep racing game. It's not so much just start and go. You kind of have to pick the right the right boat, I guess you'd call it, and like the right. You can skip the race if you don't want to race on us on a rainy day or a windy day. And the waves are huge. You can ride them a certain way. And it does add a lot of uh, just, I guess, a very dynamic race system, which I don't see that in any Mario Kart game, really. No. Like, it's the same course no matter how you play it. And it's it's interesting. And it is quite difficult, uh, you know, to be honest. Like, uh, the controls are, are very sensitive. Yes. And playing it after playing other racing games that have 
come out in the last decade, which don't have that sense of uh, uh, controls, it was it took a little bit of uh, it was a bit of a learning curve to get back into it, uh, especially doing those tight turns and because you're trying to go around the boy buoys and make sure that you uh, you don't miss too many of them. <laughs> the fact I do like that you do you can miss some of them, which was always a, a fun tactic because you would wait till the the last lap and just boost your way right as fast as you could just boost down and, and try and go past everything and not care about whether you were you were uh, hitting the buoys that was really tough to to handle i mean like it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of almost kirby's air ride where the game is easy to learn but difficult to master and that just you yeah, have to very learn similar how to get around those those buoys and the markers and if you don't get around them you lose which like you, you I, I wouldn't think that that would be part of the game. Just looking at the game at the cover, I would think, oh, this is just a racing uh, jet ski game and it's stupid fun and there's nothing to it. But it actually is a pretty deep racer the more you look at it. I just think that these jet ski racing games are from a, an arcade time where you had like the kind of things that you would stand on to make it feel like you're on a jet ski. But yeah. playing it at home, I think a lot of that is lost. I have a few uh, Easter eggs in the game that I just wanted to go over before we uh, move on to the next game. Sure. Okay, cool. So there's a cheat code section of the game, and if you want to, you can type in the code D-L-P-H-N-M-O-D. So that's Dolphin Mod, which is kind of an Easter egg to the GameCube's uh, code name, which was the Dolphin before they named it the, the, the GameCube. And uh, and to do that, you would, uh, you'd you'd be given a dolphin to ride in the game. <laughs> oh my god, that's sick! Yeah, which is really neat. It's a, <laughs> I did not know that. It's a bit of a throwback to the first Wave Race game, which I think you could do that too. And it's also a tie to the the code name, which um which the GameCube had for quite a while, almost uh, almost two years. Isle Delfino too. Isle Delfino, yeah. There's lots of dolphin references in there, and that there's one in Wave Race as well. There's a dolphin uh, uh, track that you can do. Yeah, I can't remember the names of the tracks now, or the characters for that matter. Well, that was one thing that that actually I wanted to just touch on is is these characters. They almost had like just generic personalities. Mm-hmm. It it felt like the characters were the last things that this, the team did. You know, they had an idea of how the racing was going to go, how everything was going to look, and the characters felt like just throw-ins. Yeah. And, and I really wish they would have, you know, put some more time into that and maybe done a done a cross uh, cross thing with uh, with 1080, mm-hmm. uh, combine that world in, in some sense because that was the other. A Nintendo kind of extreme sport franchise that they had going at that time, but uh, I think that's where the game does fall flat for sure. Is these you know almost stereotypical characters? Well, they did tie it a little bit to 1080, where some of the characters are actually in Wave Race as well. So they they were very close to making it a combined universe, almost like an extreme yeah, sports that's true. universe. Yeah. Um, but uh, they didn't quite go all the way. And then neither of the games, 1080 or Wave Race, are on the Wii, and we haven't seen those games since. Just one last little cheat here from the game, which is really neat, is uh, this was actually not discovered until 2010, so nine years after the game came out. So it was, a, I guess, somewhere in the game's code. Um, if you go to the audio settings in the option menu, tap Z until the waveform at the bottom of the screen resembles a fog. Use the D-pad, enter a variation of the Konami code, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, X, Z. You hear a tone, like kind of like a ringtone. Uh, then you go to the race, and the announcer only talks trash. Oh, like what? Yeah, like deadpan, rude comments about you, like almost to the point of being like, like this should be like T-rated or something. Like they call you pathetic. Like they say, "Fat luck, 
uh, a turbo will do you and everything like they call you like like sad and uh, last lap soon the agony will end like they only talk trash about you like no matter how well you're doing it's like this... i'm trying that right after this <laughs> it's like this kind of rude bro dude that kind of just talks crap about you while you're trying to race and it's hilarious and it's just a cool easter egg that wasn't or if that's an easter egg it's just a weird that's an Easter egg, I, for sure. I guess so, yeah. It's just something about the game that no one discovered until way later. I found that in some research this week, and I, you have my copy. So, yeah, go dig dig in and try and see if you can find that. Amazing, amazing. Amazing indeed. Mike, let's, uh, let's read the back of the case of Wave Race Blue Storm. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. Storm warning. Prepare for the wettest, wildest racing ever as Wave Race splashes onto the Nintendo GameCube. There's a lot of writing underneath each of these uh, uh, pictures, so I'm not going to read it, but uh, it's a pretty good back of the case. A lot of good pictures, a lot of good screenshots, a lot of jet skis indeed. Nice. Cool. Let's move on to our third game on the list here, which is Batman Vengeance, which was released on November 18th, 2001 on GameCube. It was released a little bit earlier on PlayStation 2, October 15th of the same year. This game was developed by Ubisoft Montreal, and it's published by Ubisoft as well. It's also on PlayStation 2, Game Boy Advance, and Windows. It prices around $20 today, and it rates about a 7 or 8 out of 10. So I do have some experience with Batman Vengeance, and I, I talked about it last uh, last time we talked about it, uh, 50 episodes ago. <laughs> um, I rented it from Blockbuster or Rogers Video, one of the two here in Ontario, and uh, I remember the animated sequences between gameplay. That's what I really remember, because I was watching Batman the Animated Series at the time, and I was really into that and Batman Beyond, so when I played this, I was like, whoa, this, this is like Batman... The animated series. Yeah. This is like the '90s one. Mm-hmm. It, it looks like it's animated like it. It's got the voices of it, which you were stunned about when we talked about this mm-hmm. in episode one. <laughs> I was. You did not believe me when I said Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill are in this. I just had a hard time believing it because, like, my touchstone with Batman and video games is the Arkham franchise, which does the same thing. They bring back all the original voice actors, or they bring back Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill at least, and. Just looking at this game, like it looks like what I was used to from this generation of just movie tie-ins or cartoon tie-ins, and it's going to have somebody faking Batman's voice. I was amazed at how true to form this game is to the 90s animated Batman show, which is a classic at this point. Yeah, it's I love I love the um, the graphics itself are okay, but I do love that they really went full on with it. They made everything look like that Art Deco feel that mm-hmm. uh, that the animated series has. Uh, even the little loading screens are really well done. It's almost like a work of art in some aspects mm-hmm. for this. Uh, and to have a, a, a superhero game uh, go this in, in depth in 2001 is, is pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, it sold decently well i think it's across all consoles it's sold just under a million units which is not bad i mean by today's standards that's terrible but it did well enough to uh to get a sequel which we haven't actually talked to talked about yet on this show uh rise of sinzu this uh sequel was in 2003 but yeah i was actually very impressed with how this game translates the we, we talk about with a bunch of other cartoons like uh, simpsons and fairly odd parents how the game uh how the game processes a 2d franchise into 3d is a very difficult thing to do yep and it's it's yeah it's a thankless job really yeah uh my favorite level that i wanted to talk about is the level where you fly with the batwing oh cool it's only one level and it's really unfortunate that there is only one level where you have the batwing but it's really really fun it reminds me a lot of the nightfire level where you're racing with the aston martins like uh enemies vanquished i think it's called okay. because the controls with inventions uh for the batwing they feel so fluid and easy to use and 
when you're walking around normally as Batman, you, you're pretty clunky. You know, you're 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 not going very yeah. fast. You're lumbering around just like <laughs> you are in all Batman games. So when you have the ability to kind of fly around in a Batwing and uh, you almost feel like this like rogue leader again there. Uh, it's just that flows <laughs> fluid, easy controls uh, that the GameCube controller is great for. So, yeah, I love that at that that level. It's interesting to see Ubisoft at this time having a, a license to work with Batman specifically. That's really neat because nowadays people know Ubisoft for Far Cry and Assassin's Creed and Watch Dogs and everything else. Mm-hmm. They haven't had a movie uh, license in a long time. This may have been the last one of the last ones that they ever had, I guess, was was Batman. I, I would have been interested to see this game just, you know, going back and changing history here. If this was a 2D platforming game in the art style of the cartoon, like that black and white, because the cartoon was animated on black cell, which most cartoons are animated on white, and then they add color. This one was, it was automatically shadowed. Yes. So they had to add color to the shadow, which made it different. That would have been a really fun game to uh, to watch, to see animated and play on a on a GameCube or maybe even a more current gen console. Kind of reminding me of like Cuphead animation. Yeah, almost. yeah, I would have loved that. Yeah, because that, that does feel like that because Cuphead also has a bit of that Art Deco feel to it. It does. And some of the best Batman games of all time are the Sunsoft Batman games on the NES, which are 2D. Mm -hmm. And not to say the Arkham games aren't great. Uh, The the 3D Arkham games are fantastic, but we haven't had a 2D Batman game in forever. And it'd be really neat to see them go back to this this era, the 90s era, and try and sort of capture that in a 2D game. Yeah, no, I would love that. I would love that. Uh, Before we move on, I will read the back of the case of Batman Vengeance. Let's do it. All right. A darker justice must be served. Action with a vengeance. Become Batman with blistering martial arts combos, over 500 unique animated moves, and a multifunctional cape with its own AI. We forgot to talk about that. Oh, we're going to talk about it now. (laughs) Live the dark night. Explore, fight, sneak, decipher, drive, pilot, and even battle in massive mid-air freefalls. Sleek weapons and devices. Wield batarangs, bat grapples, flash bombs, remote charges, bat cuffs, nets, the bat launcher, bat scope, and more. Next-gen technology, featuring 5.1 Dolby surround sound, over 40 minutes of rendered cinematics, and a ni- and 19 open environments through Gotham City. I forgot that the, the cape had its own AI. Uh, well, the cape, the AI cape, which is huge. Uh, we talked about that in episode <laughs> one, and we also talked about the mm-hmm. fact that it has Dolby surround sound <laughs> that is advertised. That's a selling feature. Yeah. <laughs> and I made a guarantee back in episode one, Neil. I said, I guarantee we will not see Dolby Surround Sound mentioned and called out on any other case. And I don't think we've seen it since. So I'm doing pretty nope. good. <laughs> so far, so good. I don't know why that was a selling feature. It is funny, I guess. But uh, 40 minutes of rendered cinematics. That's impressive. That's quite a bit. Not as not as impressive as Cape AI, Neil, uh, which uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we talked about this in episode one. I, I don't think they knew how to market games at this time because it's funny you say that though because i think that the playstation 4 game the order 1886 i think that the cape physics were a huge selling point of that game early on in its development i remember seeing demos of that game on youtube and stuff and listening or like reading ign reviews and everything and they were talking about the cape physics in that game too so i don't know why that's that's a selling feature the cape could could just be vertical the entire time i wouldn't care (laughs) Uh, well, that didn't help the order 1886 because that game did no, not do well. Not at all. Sure, he's still out if it helped uh, in Batman Vengeance, but I'm a fan of this game and I, I hope one day we'll see something else in this animated style. Sweet. But until then, let's cover Crazy Taxi next. Let's do it. Crazy, 
Crazy Taxi was released on November 18, 2001. It's developed by Hitmaker, published by Sega. It's also in the arcade in 1999 and the Dreamcast in 2000. It was also released on PlayStation, Windows, PS3. Sorry, it was also released on PlayStation 2, Windows, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, iOS, and Android. The GameCube version prices at around $40, uh, but the GameCube version also rates pretty low with about a 6 out of 10. Yeah, this is not necessarily the best way to play the game because one of the main reasons why it rates so low is that the GameCube version is not a uh, direct port or anything of the uh, PlayStation 2 and Xbox versions or whatever else it was on. It is a port of the Dreamcast version. So that's something to remember. And one of the reasons with that, I think we talked about this in episode one, is the fact that there are only three songs in this game, in the GameCube version. (laughs) But they they were able to get Offspring and Bad Religion, which is good. It's just it's repetitive. Yes, exactly. But uh, yeah, I mean, Crazy Taxi is Crazy Taxi at the end of the day. It's so much fun. It's such a... It's... I feel like a broken record, but it's, uh, you know, doing one thing really, really well, picking up people, Mm -hmm. smashing into other cars. Uh, I I have so much fun when I play Crazy Taxi. For me, though, it is an arcade game first and a console game second. It's way more fun when you're playing in an arcade, when you actually have a a wheel to play with. Yeah. And I mean, for for people out there that might not know what Crazy Taxi is, like because, you know, if you didn't grow up with a GameCube or a Dreamcast, totally understand if you don't know what a Crazy Taxi uh, game is because there's no game really like it uh, since Sega owns most of the rights towards the gameplay mechanics of this game. That actually goes back to some legal issues that this game had. One of them being that Sega sued EA for infringing on the patent that they had uh, for Crazy Taxi games. And do you remember what game they sued EA for, Neil? Yeah, it was uh, The Simpsons Road Rage. That's right, which is basically Crazy Taxi. And Yeah, basically. <laughs> and this really hadn't happened before where someone patented a game mechanic like Crazy Taxi and then sued someone for it. You know, we did do some research on this in episode one, and we did find out that a lot of it was to do with Sega not having any money and, you right. know, wanting to find ways to get money. But mm-hmm. this is another reason why we don't really see games like this anymore, like you said, because I, I think developers are a little... A little scared of you know no one wants to mm-hmm. wants to get sued and uh, you know obviously gta is the biggest reason why we don't see games like this anymore but right and the the uh simpsons versus uh crazy taxi the the court was eventually settled in private yeah. so we don't actually know uh how that was left uh but you can kind of imagine how it was left because we haven't seen a game even like simpsons road rage since since simpsons road rage <laughs> say that five times fast <laughs> That's really hard to say. Um, So you can imagine they probably lost some money in that and no game has ever come out since. So Crazy Taxi is basically a point-to-point pickup game, which doesn't sound fun. uh, But the developers of the game really did want to capture, and they've said this in multiple interviews, where they wanted to capture the true taxi driving experience, which sounds horrible. (laughs) But uh, I mean, just in the sense that like, you know, you have your car, you're trying to get from point A to point B and... And then there's the game gamified element of uh, how fast you get to each point uh, gets you more money, and the less damage you take uh, gets you more money. So you can basically just drive as recklessly as you want in order to get your passenger from where they start to where they want to go. And I mean, I guess that there are certain points like this in GTA, which uh, sure, you could be a cab, a cab driver, I guess, if you want, but there's really nothing like Crazy Taxi where that is just the game. Yep. And... I mean, it definitely is an arcade experience. I don't know how fun it would be to play this game for hours and hours and hours and hours, you know? I agree. I agree. 
so funny that Sega sued people because they in turn got sued themselves for this game. Uh, there's a lot of in-game advertising and in-game um, mm. stores that they use without permission. Uh, stuff like the Tower Records store, uh, Fila store, that wasn't... Levi Jeans, Levi Jeans, Kentucky Fried Chicken. They did not have the licenses for these. There's other <laughs> things like there were certain ads that were playing, I guess, uh, on the TV or the radio in the game. And so they got some copyright lawsuits against them uh, in, for mm. that. And these songs, I don't think any of the songs could be played on GBA or PSP because of licensing issues as well. So right. yeah, there's um, a bit of trouble with that. Yeah, even the soundtrack on the PC version was different. Uh, so the original game uh, is very well known for being uh, like The Offspring and Bad Religion, which we set up front, which are two very big skate punk bands from the 90s. Soundtrack very similar to like Tony Hawk, uh, which we covered in an earlier episode. Uh, but the PC version had to take out those bands, I guess due to licensing uh, rights and agreements. So they re- replaced the bands with Pivot, Too Rude, and Total Chaos. I know neither <laughs> of those three bands. <laughs> so yeah. I don't think that the PC version of this game is the way to play it either. And that's obviously why, I mean, the GBA couldn't have, have handled those songs anyway. And the PSP could have, but I think by then the rights were far gone. And for that reason, if we ever saw a remake or a remaster of of this game like with everything untouched it's just completely unlikely to ever happen yeah completely unlikely unlikely it's too bad if i saw this in a store for like 10 bucks i'd probably buy it because i do love crazy taxi it's a lot of fun but this experience is really better served on in an arcade so if you can find an arcade and play crazy taxi at (laughs) i would highly recommend you do i think the dreamcast version is actually not bad there's something different about this version from the dreamcast version that that folks don't like because the ratings for the dreamcast version was more like nines out of 10 so i think that's the way to play it and yeah if you do have an arcade cabinet uh good on you (laughs) all right let's hit the back of the case and we'll move on to the last game of the day prepare for the craziest cab ride of your life weave through crowded streets across sidewalks and even underwater in a frantic race to deliver passengers on time in crazy taxi time is money and only the craziest of cabbies earn their fare Two expansive interactive courses for extensive gameplay. (laughs) Two whole courses. Play three game modes, arcade, original, and crazy box. Choose from four different cabs and drivers, each with their own style and attitude. Rocking soundtrack from hit bands, Offspring, and Bad Religion. There you go. Not too shabby. Speaking of craziness and racing games, I guess, in a sense, let's talk about the last game on this list. I guess it's a racing game. All right. (laughs) Last game on today's list for the GameCube launch is Super Monkey Ball, which was released on November 18th, 2001. This game is developed by Amusement Vision. It's published by Sega. This game prices at around $40 in Canadian dollars, and it rates very well in the high 8s to 9s out of 10s. And the Super Monkey Ball franchise since then really took off in, in the 2000s on GameCube, PS2, PSP, Wii specifically. There are so many Super Monkey Ball games. and But today we're just talking about the very first one, the one that started it all. And this is the one that I have the most experience with, I would say. It's just like a fun mini game uh, with monkeys and like marble physics, I guess is the best way. Marble Madness kind of style game. Marble Madness for sure. And since then, I mean, we've seen remakes on, there's the Banana Blitz on Switch. But I think that the GameCube game, like one and two are really good uh, games to jump in this, this franchise on. Fantastic. And still has a huge, huge following today. A lot of people asked me, what are you doing in Super Monkey Ball? And we did do it. Uh, we covered Super Monkey Ball and uh, Pac-Man uh, World. We did that on episode 12. So if you want a real in-depth look into uh, Super Monkey Ball, the franchise, check out that episode. 
But uh, yeah, I love this game. It's so much fun. I actually have more experience with Super Monkey Ball 2, but they are basically the same game. Yeah. You know, you're just, you're trying to manipulate the levels to get the your little monkey to go around and get to the end uh, in crazy ways. And it's a really hard game, honestly. Mm-hmm. It requires a lot of patience and technical dexterity, which I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> and it had to start in the arcade too, which is crazy. Like you wouldn't think that this game is a an arcade game, but it was. I don't remember ever seeing this game in arcades. It came out in June of, of 2001. And then a few months later came out obviously on GameCube. And then we had the sequel uh, just a, a, less than a year later in August of 2002. So that they really came out with the first few games quickly. Uh, obviously, they had a whole bunch of mini games designed and ready to go and uh, just put them out on different discs. But uh, I think that this is the definition of easy to learn and difficult to master of, <laughs> of, the, of the GameCube launch library, at least. Like, you literally just have to control the ball on screen. You don't really have to do much else. Um, but doing that is incredibly difficult and incredibly satisfying when it goes well. This is the one where the, my favorite mini game, I think, is where you go down the giant ramp and then you sort of jump off the ramp and then you have wings and you have to land on the landing pad like a target yeah 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 <laughs> and, and then you get points based on that that is by far one of the best mini games of all time this is such a unique game too because it's one of the few games that i can think of where you're not controlling the what's in the center of the sc- center of the screen you're not technically controlling ii or baby or whatever's their names are Mimi, <laughs> Gong Gong. <laughs> you're you're controlling the whole level itself which I thought is so cool and so mm-hmm. unique to, to just game experiences in general. Uh, I got to give a shout out to Dole Bananas here as well. Uh, <laughs> the fact that there's actually branded Dole Bananas in, the, in this game really uh, makes me laugh. Where else are they going to market their bananas? <laughs> I mean, other than other than Donkey Kong, where else are you going to get the Dole Banana in a video game? That is a hilarious piece of uh, trivia. I love that. <laughs> and we talked, our favorite piece of trivia that we talked about in uh, episode 12 with Super Monkey Ball 2 specifically, but it works for this one as well is in 2002, a study recognized Super Monkey Ball as one of several video games associated with improved performance in laparoscopic surgery. Mm -hmm. Surgeons who played Super Monkey Ball for at least six minutes prior to operating performed better in a virtual surgery simulation than surgeons that did not play. It's just so cool. And it makes sense though, right? Because the precision of, of playing this game is, you know, you have to be very patient. You have to be very, very precise with your movements. If you mess up at all, you're done. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really funny. I mean, it's basically like those old puzzle games where you kind of have a ball in a, I guess, a little container, and you're yep. trying to move the ball around a maze, uh, something along those lines. I had those as a kid, at least. I don't know if I, I'm I did definitely too. dating. We're definitely dating ourselves by saying that. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of apps and stuff that are like that as well. And this was kind of the only way to play a game like that, other than Marble Madness. This game gave that game a lot more... Super Monkey Ball gave Marble Madness a personality, which absolutely Sega did an amazing job of. I mean, I give Sega so much hate over the years with Sonic and, and whatnot, but they did come onto the GameCube strong, which is interesting because at this point, the Dreamcast was, I, I guess, really failing because for Sega and Sega and Nintendo were big uh, competitors in the 90s with their yep. NES, uh, SNES, N64. And then just day one, Sega had a game on GameCube. And if you lived in Japan, this was one of the only options you had to pick up on launch day. You had Luigi's Mansion, Wave Race, and Super Monkey Ball. So Sega really came onto the GameCube day one and were there until the very end. So they're kind of an underrated 
third, second party developer uh, for the GameCube, which I don't give them enough credit for. They did really support the GameCube in its in its uh, tough time for Nintendo. Almost feels like they took the place of Rare in a sense, you know, with mm-hmm. these these double A games that they were putting out and pumping out for Nintendo that were all usually pretty high quality. So yeah, uh, like you said, gotta give give a shout out to Sega for that. I do want to say one last thing here, and it's just about the lasting impact of Super Monkey Ball. Still played in tournaments today. There's entire meme culture that has come from the franchise. (laughs) There's a massive speedrun community for these games. Always a favorite because it is a lot different than other speedruns where, you know, you're just trying to, I guess, break the game in a sense for some of these speedrunners. But this one is, is so technically precise where you do have to make sure that you get everything right. And it's really fun to watch uh, a speed run of Super Monkey Ball. Let me tell you that. Because some of these guys do just insane jumps and insane movements where you can't even imagine how they would do that. Oh, they're incredible. And are they playing on the speed run? Is it Super Monkey Ball 1 on a GameCube? Or are they playing it on arcade? Like, do you know specifically what the preferred It's not arcade. Is? I can tell you yeah. that. But uh, okay. I, I'm going to say GameCube. And someone else can tell me that I'm wrong. Because <laughs> I just want <laughs> to say is, GameCube. This is the GameCube podcast, obviously. Exactly. I go to mobygames.com for a lot of my information on these games. It's a great website. But they have a section here for ad blurbs for the... Uh, for the games that you're looking up. <laughs> and uh, there's one here from Nintendo.com from 2001. And it just says, uh, Fred Durst isn't the only one who's rolling, rolling, rolling these days. <laughs> Sega, oh has a gang of, Sega has a gang of mad cat monkeys ready to roll into the mix in a zany racing action minigame extravaganza for the Nintendo GameCube called Super Monkey Ball. How is that not on the back of the case? <laughs> if that was on the back of the case, I'd be buying it instantly. <laughs> it's so good i mean fred durst we love limp biscuit on this podcast <laughs> and that's one of the greatest songs of all time i guess they couldn't get the song ro- imagine if they got the song oh rolling on it's Monkey just Ball. constant it just never stops <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's monkey billiards monkey bowling monkey golf monkey target monkey race monkey fight like it's all in a ball and it's uh the game is a ball it's a ton of fun ton of fun ton of fun indeed uh i'll read the back of the case here and then we'll wrap up the episode hey party animals Call your friends and warn your neighbors. It's time to have a ball. Go bananas with 90 plus stages, multiplayer madness, and seven cool ways to play. Equal parts, party, and game. Super Monkey Ball could be the most well-rounded game you've ever played. Well-rounded and anxiety-inducing game I've ever played. Yes. <laughs> it's when you're on those tiny, like the, 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 the really thin platforms, and you're just trying to get to the goal, and you see the goal, it's there. Like, please, mm-hmm. please, please do not move. <laughs> it's tense. It gets tense at times, hands down. Just like a surgery. <laughs> Just equally equally stressful as a brain surgery. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, geez. So, Mike, for our closing thoughts here for this episode, now we've we've now covered the launch titles for the GameCube twice uh, on this on this year's show. Uh, and I think the first time that we did this episode, we didn't have our closing segments really in place. Now, usually uh, to close off an episode, we talk about the future of uh, the franchise, the genre, the uh, the IP, whatever it is. So I, I just want to, I guess, get your sense on what do you think the future is of the GameCube on Nintendo hardware? Do you think that we're ever going to see a GameCube classic or a GameCube library of games on the Switch or whatever the Switch 2 is. Because right now, a lot of these games are tied to the GameCube only, or if you have a Wii, you can play them there. But most of these games, it's impossible to play them anywhere but on disc. I want the GameCube uh, Mini or the GameCube Classic or you know GameCube subscription or just Nintendo Classics uh, subscription, something like that to come, as we talked about 
in our last episode. That was what I wanted for E3. So I still want it for E3. Yep. <laughs> but <laughs> do I think it's going to happen in the near future? Uh, sadly, no. I, I think Nintendo being Nintendo is probably going to let these games languish for a couple more years. Uh, and yeah. it's really sad. But uh, and like you're right. There aren't a lot of good ways to play these classic games. And a lot of these games you know, still hold up very, very well when you play them on the GameCube, uh, opposed to a lot of other games and consoles from this generation. So hopefully in some way, Nintendo will bring some of this back. But uh, yeah, I'm not holding out too much hope. No, I know it's sad to say, but I don't think that the GameCube support is ever going to be as strong for Nintendo as it is from the fans. Uh, I think that the fans around GameCube, like you and I, and uh, people out there on YouTube and Facebook who are doing incredible things with restoring their consoles and, mm-hmm. and you know, trade markets and, you know, making sure everybody out there can experience some of these games. I think that that's where you're going to see the most GameCube love, unfortunately, is uh, with the discs and consoles and controllers that already exist. So if you're out there listening and you're waiting for Nintendo to put out a a uh, console, a virtual console, like a Netflix subscription for GameCube, don't hold your breath. Uh, I would say get out there instead and try and track yourself down a GameCube and some games and start trading or, you know, borrowing from friends, family members, and try and experience those games there because we're seeing a small trickle of games come out on the Switch library, but they're mostly third-party games. Like we have uh, Ikaruga, Cell Damage, a few Star Wars games, uh, and then, you know, Nintendo might remake a GameCube game every now and again, like Wind Waker, or they put Luigi's Mansion on 3DS, which was weird as hell. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think that that's kind of the most support you're ever going to see for the GameCube is uh, in the community. So go out there and find a GameCube community and uh, attach yourself to it. Yeah, GameCube has great communities, very well, very respected communities and uh, just really engaged. It's been a blast for us to be engaged in some of those communities on Reddit, on Facebook or wherever. And we've re- appreciated all the support that, that those communities have given us to reach um, 50 episodes. Yeah. So thank you very yeah. much. Thank you so much. And Mike, we always talk about the games that we've talked about today that we recommend folks out there pick up. Do you recommend anybody pick up any of the games that we talked about today? I would have to give my two shout outs to Rogue Squadron 2. And I really wanted to say Wave Race, but I think that the better choice would honestly be Monkey Ball. I think Monkey Ball is more fun than Wave Race. I think it has more replayability than Wave Race. Uh, and it's it's just a bit more of a, a goofy game that is unlike any other. Um, I think Wave Race on N64 is a better experience. So I would say that if you have the chance to pick up Rogue Squadron uh, 2 uh, at a good price, do it now, as well as Monkey Ball. If you can find a copy of that, the first game is a classic, in my opinion. I said Crazy Taxi one year ago, and I completely disagree with my pick. Uh, I hate myself <laughs> for saying that. A thousand percent disagree. Don't pick up Crazy Taxi for the GameCube. Get Rogue Leader. Uh, this this is such a good game. It's unlike anything else that's going to be on the GameCube or honestly on other systems. A blast if you, especially if you love Star Wars and love the original trilogy. I would say it's a must own, especially when it's only fifty dollars today. I think it's only going to go up. So definitely buy that if you can. But all these games in our eyes are are good. To like, it's a great launch day. Super Monkey Ball is a would be a fantastic pickup. Getting Wave Race would still be a good pickup. Still very fun. Batman Vengeance is a really underrated superhero game that's very different from from other superhero titles of the time. So yeah, mm-hmm. I I enjoy all these games that we've talked about today. There were games in the launch that we didn't talk about today that are probably misses. Like we we kind of highlighted the games here that are the must pickups, and obviously we missed Luigi's Mansion. But there's also games out there like Tarzan Untamed. 
And uh, there's you're a telling me that's game. not a ma- must pickup, Neil? Uh, I would say you could probably skip that one and still have an okay life. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, of course, like I said at the beginning of the episode, we covered the rest of the launch day games in different episodes. So mm-hmm. please uh, go back into our library and, and find uh, our thoughts on those. Yes, because covering 11 games in a single episode would be absolutely uh, just we'd want to rip our hair out by the end of that episode. We've done it. Oh, it's and it's bad. I, <laughs> I, you can tell you can tell our energy is gone by the end of the episode. And it's been really it's been really fun today to uh, re-record the first episode again. I'm really looking forward to hearing how it sounds in comparison. And I'm almost scared to think now, Mike, because a year ago we thought that we sounded pretty good. Like you know, we thought that the podcast was okay, and then we got better. I'm very nervous to hear or to know what we think of ourselves now, a year from now, if that makes any sense, you know? You know, we said stop listening to our first episode, and next year we will definitely tell you to stop listening to this episode. So uh, <laughs> get ready for episode 100. That's that's the, that's going to be the real one. That's going to be the, that's when we really hit our stride is episode 100. Uh, man, it's fun to grow with the show for sure, and we're very excited for the year ahead. But Mike, until then, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect on episode 51 of the GameCube was Cool podcast. Episode 51 is going to be all about outdoor games, so fishing and hunting games, uh, games that you definitely don't associate the GameCube with. <laughs> nope, I, I didn't play any of these games, so. Well, we do have some friends of the show who will be coming on who did play some of these games, and that's going to be a really fun time. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk about uh, these Cabela games, which uh, traditionally are arcade games. You know, that's what we think of In Cabela's. bars. Yeah, in bars. In bars. <laughs> <laughs> and they and are. top angler, like fishing simulator. <laughs> <laughs> games which are terrible but here we go they are a blast for sure and they they have their place but it is very strange that these games were on gamecube so it'll be a, it'll be a fun time it's a genre of game that is you know they come out every month every couple months there's a new deer hunter game and they sell so there's yep. definitely a fan base for everything out there so we're excited to dive into that nook of the gamecube's library and uh, hopefully have some entertaining jokes for you as well Yep, absolutely. Absolutely indeed. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 50 of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better. If you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We are The GameCube Was Cool. Follow us on Instagram. We are at The GameCube Pod. And go ahead and share us with your friends and family too, so we can find a bigger audience. Thank you so much for the support this last year. We love every single one of you who listened to us. We are very excited for many more years of recording, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube.